Hello, my name is Randy Ostra, President and CEO of Prometica. I'm pleased to welcome you to this eight-part series of healthcare reform discussions with nationally recognized health policy experts. These interviews will discuss Medicare policy, including healthcare pricing, long-term care, and the social determinants of health. This series is part of an ongoing two-year effort by more than a dozen hospital CEOs from around the U.S. to urge Congress to take up significant health care policy reform legislation, largely by calling for the creation of a National Commission on Health Care Reform. It is our intent that these policy reforms discussed during these interviews demonstrate our desire for substantive national reform. Moreover, that these interviews help to further inform congressional members and committee staff as they work to craft legislation to improve health care delivery and financing during the next Congress. Our motivation is straightforward. Well before the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, we were adamant that race, age, and or economic circumstances should not be defined as pre-existing conditions. Nor do we accept the premise that Americans should be resigned to live shorter lives in poorer health. We invite you to listen to or to read the transcripts of all eight interviews. If you'd like to provide comment, you can do so via the contact information noted at the conclusion of these interviews. Welcome to this first interview and a series of eight interviews concerning national health care policy reform. My name is David Intracasso, and I'll be conducting these interviews. It's appropriate to begin this series with a discussion of health status. Comparatively, how healthy are Americans? With me to discuss this topic is Virginia Commonwealth Professor of Population Health, Dr. Stephen Wolf. Dr. Wolf, welcome. A pleasure to be here. In 2012, Dr. Wolf chaired an Institute of Medicine expert panel to examine our country's comparative health status. The expert panel's findings were published in 2013 under the title U.S. Health in International Perspective, Shorter Lives, Poorer Health. Dr. Wolf's complete bio is posted with this interview's audio file and transcript. Dr. Wolf, let me begin by asking, what does the current pandemic's mortality rate tell us about our underlying health status relative to comparable countries? Well, on its face, uh, it's pretty well known that uh, the COVID-19 mortality rate in the United States is extremely high. Uh, our, our case numbers uh, have exceeded that of any other country, and our mortality rate per 100,000 persons is well above most uh, developed countries. Um, but I think of COVID as a uh current fresh example of a very old problem um, and and really the pandemic has exposed a lot of long-standing problems in the United States in its ability to protect the health of its population and uh, deal with uh, deep-seated inequities so for example the much higher mortality rate of COVID-19 among African Americans and Hispanic Americans is just a new uh, manifestation of a long-standing problem that has been responsible for health inequities for many years in the United States. Okay, thank you. Let's go. Since I mentioned shorter lives, poor health, 
Let's go uh, to the report and your more recent related research findings relative to U.S. life expectancy compared to other rich countries. So we, we do live, per the title of the report, we do live uh, shorter lives. Can you explain? Well, I, I think many Americans operate with the misconception that the United States has the best healthcare system in the world and the best health in the world, but uh, neither is actually true. Um, we we were commissioned back in 2012, as you said, by the National Research Council and Institute of Medicine with funding from NIH to examine the health of Americans relative to other countries. By that time, there had already been a growing literature about what we call the U.S. health disadvantage. And uh, the our expert committee, which was multidisciplinary, spent a lot of time digging through the data and uh, trying to get a sense of the scope of the problem. And we were really shocked. Uh, and, and in our report, Shorter Lives, Poor Health, documented uh, on outcome after outcome that Americans are sicker than people in other peer countries and live shorter lives. Uh, the life expectancy in the United States uh, is the lowest uh, among industrialized countries, and uh, it has been this way for quite some time, actually. Okay, thank you. Let's go to the specifics and drill down here. Over what time period has U.S. life expectancy lost pace uh, with other countries. I mean, this isn't an overnight phenomenon. Well, that's a very good point, uh, because obviously we're dealing in a glaring way right now with uh, our health disadvantage relative to other countries, but this is really not new. Uh, we actually started to go into a decline in the 1980s, and our report documented this uh, pretty extensively. It used to be that U.S. life expectancy was higher than peer nations. Uh, we actually did have uh, among the best health status in the world when I was a young man. But in the 1980s, uh, we started to see a fall off. Uh, if you look at graphs of life expectancy for us and the OECD countries, you'll see that the pace of increase in life expectancy that all modern countries had experienced for a century uh, continued in the other peer nations in the 1980s, but our rate of increase started falling off. By 1998, we, we crossed the line, and the U.S. life expectancy fell below that of the peer countries. And as of uh, 2010, we had basically plateaued. And uh, for the past few years, our life expectancy has been declining. All the while, life expectancy in the other countries has continued. And this was all going on, obviously, before COVID. We can talk more about what the pandemic is going to do to these numbers. But even before that occurred, uh, we were in a pretty perilous situation, despite the fact that we spend far more on health care than any of those peer nations. So we're spending more on health care, but we're living shorter lives and we're sicker than the peer nations that are spending less. Okay, let's go to uh, what explains what disease conditions and what subpopulations are counting more over for this uh, fact. So the declining life expectancy can be attributed to, again, what primary disease conditions or behaviors uh, and to what populations? Well, 
let me let me uh, get your audience up to date because that report came out in 2013. Around 2015, uh, the news media began covering research initially initially done by the Princeton economists Ann Case and Angus Deaton, showing what appeared to be an increase in death rates in middle-aged white Americans. Uh, subsequent research showed that uh, this was an increase in mortality that was occurring across uh, the working age population from age 25 to 64. In other words, when we try to unpack this decline in life expectancy, what seems to be driving it is the poor health of working age adults. Mortality rates for children, infants, young children, teenagers, has been declining, in other words, going in the right direction. And mortality rates for older Americans has also been declining. It's this middle group between uh, age 25 and 64 where we've seen an alarming increase in death rates. Initially, this was reported uh, by Case and Deaton in the white population, but uh, subsequent research, including studies that, that our group has done, showed that it actually has set in with all racial and ethnic groups. So you ask, you know, what diseases are driving this? Well, the one that's most famous is drug overdoses. Uh, the opioid epidemic has had a, a huge impact on uh, mortality rates really since the 1990s when OxyContin first came out. So it's a major contributor. And also there's been an increase in death rates from alcohol-related causes and suicides that combination, drugs, alcohol, and suicides, led Case and Deaton to coin the term deaths of despair uh, because they they saw that as a connecting theme between those three causes of death. But actually, our research, when you dig into the data, has shown uh, more than 30 causes of death that have all increased for this working age population. So it includes not only the so-called deaths of despair, but also chronic diseases like hypertensive heart disease, obesity, diabetes, uh, diseases with very different uh, disease processes. What you know, we in medicine would call the pathophysiology is very different across all these conditions. But what's in common is that the same age group is experiencing this uh, alarming increase in mortality. And circling back to what we were talking about earlier, this is not happening in other countries. We don't see uh, an increase in this age, an increase in mortality in this age group, in any other peer nation uh, on the scale that's happening in America. Yes, and I'll just reference, per your more recent research, you had a special communication in JAMA last January, January 26, 2019, and per your point, you noted in that the greatest increase in decline was in the middle or among young and middle-aged adults, 25 to 64, as you stated. Interestingly. You stated further that greater still was between the age 25 to 34. That increase in mortality was 6% between 2010 and 2017. Uh, to further your point, and relative to disease conditions, uh, you do note in that same publication that uh, mortality increased for upwards of 35 causes of death. So again, it's not just uh, the understanding that these are, uh, these types of deaths of despair. Let me ask you if you could break this down a bit further relative to um, men and women and then by geography, because there are some interesting aspects relative to who's being affected and where, moreover. Right. Well, 
uh, as a general rule, uh, men die at higher rates than women. So mortality rates for any of these conditions tend to be higher among men than women. But if you think in terms of relative increase, what we find is that there's something alarming happening among American women. The relative increase in mortality for women over these years has been higher than for men for for many of these causes of death. Um, In our 2013 report, uh, Shorter Lives, Poor Health, we actually compared the probability of men and women surviving to age 50. And when you looked across the uh, various countries, uh, there was a range for most peer nations, but the U.S. was nowhere in the normal range. The probability of a woman surviving to age 50 was far lower in the United States than in any of these peer countries. Uh, So already then in our 2013 report, we were raising questions about what's going on with the health of American women. Subsequent studies have continued to show uh, a uh, phenomenon of... uh, of a of a women's health disadvantage uh, in the United States. You mentioned geography, and that's actually very important. In in our recent studies, where we've looked at these national trends in the United States, the decline in life expectancy, the increase in death rates for the working age population, we were very interested in whether this is a general pattern that's occurring evenly across all 50 states, or whether uh, it's concentrated in certain areas. So we have analyzed the data for all 50 states and for the District of Columbia. And what we found is that uh, there are particular regions of the country that are driving this trend, most notably the Rust Belt, the industrial Midwest, where a large uh, proportion of the excess deaths that are being caused by this mortality trend are have occurred. In fact, in our uh, recent analysis that was published last year in JAMA, the study that you mentioned earlier, we found that if you calculated how many excess deaths have occurred since 2010 due to this recent mortality increase, fully a third of those occurred in four states in the Ohio Valley. So four Ohio Valley states accounted for one-third of the excess deaths. Those areas and the Appalachian area together accounted for half of the excess deaths. So there are other regions of the country like uh, California, the Pacific states, and so forth uh, that have been hit much less harshly by by this trend. But the geographic clustering of this in certain areas provides important clues about what may be at the root of this. Um, These are places that have been hard hit by the economy. And when we think about the history uh, that we discussed earlier, that this decline in U.S. health began in the 1980s, we have to put on our thinking cap and think about what was happening in the country in the 70s and 80s that might have set off this decline and why in particular it would be particularly bad in the Rust Belt states. And it doesn't take uh, too much creativity to uh, begin understanding uh, what's behind that when you think about the collapse of the manufacturing sector and uh, mining industries and so forth in the region that I'm talking about, uh, we begin to see an explanation for for this health trend. And to further that point, uh, again, in your JAMA piece of last year, you noted that deaths from mental and nervous system disorders were second only to deaths from uh, drug overdoses. Also, too, in that research publication, I found it interesting that you concluded And I'm quoting here, if the slow rate of increases in UF life expectancy persists, 
it will take the U.S. more than a century to reach the average life expectancy of other high-income countries that had achieved in 2016. Um, so, very interesting. We do have to, or I should ask you, um, we do know that, as you suggested, uh, there some, seems to be a correlation between socioeconomic status, particularly in these Rust Belt uh, states, particularly amongst, as Case Deaton noted, a men without a college diploma. And, of course, as we noted at the start, you did relative to COVID, disproportionate effect uh, disease has on uh, minority communities uh, in this country. But let me ask you this. This health disadvantage uh, that you, you've stated, uh, Americans have a long-standing pattern of poor health. But this health disadvantage is more pronounced, again, amongst socioeconomically disadvantaged, but also to our wealthier Americans compromised as well. Well, that's actually a question we confronted head-on back with our 2013 report. Um, we were aware of the criticism of comparisons between the United States and other countries. Uh, you know, people will say, well, this isn't Norway, it's not Sweden, it's not Japan. Uh, the United States is a very large country with a big population. It's very diverse, and we know that uh, the you know, people of low income and people of color have higher uh, rates of disease, and maybe the poor standing of the United States is explained by uh, those at-risk populations that are, in effect, dragging down our numbers and, and that the, the rest of America is doing just fine. Uh, unfortunately, that actually doesn't hold up to scrutiny. When you, you look at the data, you find that, while it's true, of course, that people of color and, and low-income uh, households are doing worse in terms of health, even rich Americans are dying earlier than rich people in other countries. We we sliced and diced this multiple ways by income, by education, by smokers and non-smokers, by people with health insurance and not health insurance. And across all those comparisons, we found a consistent pattern that health in the United States was worse. So while, you know, being rich or uh, highly educated uh, is a protective factor in the United States in making your health better than uh, than it is for other Americans, uh, even uh, the most uh, fortunate in our society, except for perhaps the uh, the, the very very rich, uh, are doing worse than uh, than their counterparts in other countries. Okay, and per your research, you did cite, with the exception of uh, per the data, with the exception of cancer and cerebrovascular disease, Americans still across the board have higher. Uh, mortality for most of the other major causes, including, as you note, circulatory disorders, diabetes, infectious diseases, mental and behavioral di disorders, diseases of the respiratory, nervous, genital, urinary, and muscular skeletal uh, systems. So all those uh, play into this. Let's now go to the big question, and you did touch upon this, and that is, and feel free to expand about your comment about um, socioeconomic status in the Ohio Valley States, but what largely explains our experiencing poor health and shorter lives? Well, you know, when when you go through that list of diseases you just mentioned, uh, there is a uh, there's an obvious takeaway there, especially for people who understand uh, again the pathophysiology of those diseases. Those are all very different conditions. Um, it would be convenient if we could say, well, you know, the, it's obesity that explains the U.S. health disadvantage, or it's the fact that, uh, 
you know, we, we have more guns or uh, it's the fact that we have an opioid epidemic. But when you see the long list of conditions uh, for which uh, Americans have poor health, uh, it's, it's uh, very difficult to try to wrap that around a single cause. Even this death of despair argument is, is really not satisfying because that wouldn't explain the increase in, in deaths from hypertensive heart disease and diabetes and many other conditions. Um, nor, nor would it explain this concentration of the problem in the industrial Midwest or Appalachia. Uh, it, it's, it was you know, clear to us in our 2013 report, and it has been clear to researchers since then, that there is something systemic going on that's causing this disadvantage. Uh, the way I think of it is that there is a, a systemic problem that's expressing itself in different ways. It, it's, it's affecting our health in multiple different ways. Uh, to some extent, it's, it's responsible for people turning to drugs uh, like opioids and, and alcohol, but it's also uh, leading to gaps in healthcare and the inability of people to manage chronic diseases. And this is uh, mu a much more logical explanation for uh, the geographic clustering of this and the population groups that seem to be most deeply affected. In your, in your IOM report, uh, you do use this phrase, the antecedents of good health. And you say the antecedents of good health are lacking and you just touched upon uh, health care coverage. So you say the antecedents are lacking insufficient health care quality, the prevalence of health-related behaviors, care that is highly fragmented, fragmented, limited public health, limited primary care, and a large uninsured uh, population. So that certainly sums up the systemic nature. You also wrote in a more recent British medical journal that systemic causes for U.S. health disadvantage involve not only deficiencies in health care, prevalence of risky behaviors, but also socioeconomic inequalities, unhealthy environmental conditions, and detrimental public policy. So it's it's all of the above. Um, well, I'd, like, I'd really like to underscore that point, um, because it's certainly something that framed our thinking in that 2013 report, but I think it really uh, becomes very clear when we think about what's going on right now with the pandemic. So in our 2013 report, when we saw this terrible uh, health status of the U.S. relative to other countries, one of our charges was to explain why, uh, what's responsible for this. And we thought very systematically about what are, what are the different things that affect our health. And we have this misconception in the U.S. that health care is what drives our health. But research shows that it only explains about 10 to 20 percent of health outcomes. So what are the other factors that affect our health? You mentioned one, health behaviors, you know, whether you smoke, whether you overeat, uh, whether you use drugs. Um, so health care, health behaviors, but so, social and economic factors are huge. So factors like education, income, housing, transportation are all known to be major drivers of health. So that's the third. The fourth is our physical and social environment. Uh, that in, refers not only to uh, the, the air and water quality that we live in, but also the built environment, whether we live in places where you can exercise, whether there's green space, and the social environment. Are we victims of segregation and discrimination, uh, structural racism, or um, social traumas uh, related to crime and other conditions? 
And what's the fifth one? The fifth one affects all of the other four, and that's public policies. So healthcare, health behaviors, physical and social environment, social and economic conditions are all driven by the choices we make as a country, as states, and at community levels. And those are those are all uh, potential drivers of our health disadvantage. In our 2013 report, we went through all five of those buckets in search of an explanation for the U.S. health disadvantage. And we found the U.S. coming up lacking in all, in all five of those areas. So, for example, you mentioned the issues with our health care system. You know, famously, we don't have universal health care like the peer nations, but there's other problems with our health care system relative to other countries. But also in those other buckets, health behaviors, Americans consume more calories than people in other countries, social and economic factors. We have higher child poverty rates. Our education system has not kept pace with uh, many of the peer countries and, and frankly, some developing countries. Uh, the social and physical environment, uh, the way we design our cities and, and, you know, access to healthy forms of transportation and so forth are lacking in the U.S. But importantly, our public policies, the way we go about making decisions in this country has flaws compared to uh, the other countries. I'm not saying that we need to switch over to a different model of governance, but there are aspects of what we do and the way we approach policy in this country that uh, put us at a disadvantage, and COVID is a very poignant example of that. It, it sort of uh, puts on display the problems we have in our country, not only in mounting a national response to a public health crisis, but also how choices made by the 50 states, that fragmentation that we have due to our federal model, leads to very different health outcomes at the state level. It's part of the reason why we've seen a widening gap, even before COVID, in the health of Americans, depending on which state they're in. Uh, state policies affect our health, and now we've seen that in a huge way with COVID. Right. I should note, since your, your mention of uh, child poverty in your IOM report, not only do you note it, but you also note uh, children in the U.S. are less likely comparatively to improve their socioeconomic position as they um, age. Let's go to my last question, of course, is, and we've touched upon this, and that is, we do know, as suggested, that uh, health status or this health disadvantage has socioeconomic effects. You recently published uh, a piece in JAMA uh, concerning excess deaths uh, over the first few months of the COVID pandemic. Uh, CDC keeps track of those numbers as well, and they're substantial, of course. Um, but accompanying your piece was a piece by Cutler and Summers at Harvard that estimated the cost and, and again, this October JAMA Viewpoint piece, uh, they estimated the lost um, GDP output and health reduction at an unbelievable amount of $16 trillion. Um, so what's at stake here is my question reframed for you socioeconomically for this country as our shorter lives, poor health reality continues and has existed, as you suggested at the top, for quite a long while now. Well, if you bear with me, let's we rewind the tape and go back to November of last year when, when our JAMA study came out. We had no idea a pandemic was coming, but in that review of, of the literature up to that point, what scared us, and, and we tried to emphasize this in the paper, is that this decline in U.S. health relative to other countries had huge 
economic implications. Not only because in general uh, it it uh, uh, is potentially destabilizing to the country for Americans to be sicker, but the concentration in the working age population has huge implications for employers. So our concern was that you know having work a workforce that is sicker and dying early uh, has potentially huge economic implications for the American competitiveness, even national security issues. And that was all before COVID came along. Uh, honestly, when, when the pandemic began, I, I thought about this uh, in terms of what effect this was going to have on the U.S. health disadvantage, and I naively thought that it would be a wash, that uh, we would take a hit, but so would the other countries. It's a global pandemic, after all. And that uh, uh, that would, would basically even out. What I didn't realize is how badly we would handle the pandemic. And studies now, you know, with the benefit of seeing what's actually occurred, that is the the huge death toll in the United States and uh, our failure to bend the curve as effectively as other countries did, uh, modeling studies are now predicting that the U.S. will take a much bigger hit in life expectancy than other countries. A recent study just came out uh, showing that it's going to set us back by over a decade, whereas the decline in other countries, I think, is going to be much more modest, and in some of them, no decline at all because of uh, of how they've handled it. So the, the gap, the widening gap in the health of Americans that we've been tracking all these years uh, is only going to widen further uh, with this. So, you know, the implications to our economy are, are huge. So, you know, David Cutler's analysis gives you a sense of the the, the scale of it. Uh, but we've been actually paying an economic price for this for some time. Right. And, and the, so, the, so, so, so you would say, uh, um, you, you noted at the top, uh, U.S. life expectancy stopped increasing in 1011, and it actually has been decreasing since 14. So... I'm assuming you would you would suggest or believe that life expectancy will continue to decrease this year and at least for the near term. Yeah, people who were following the news in January may have seen uh, a, a, an update from the CDC that had a glimmer of good news uh, that after uh, three consecutive years of declining life expectancy, there had been a slight increase in U.S. life expectancy in the in the uh, most recent year of analysis. Uh, that was a short-lived uh, period of optimism because then along came COVID. And yeah, uh, it's it's uh, quite likely that, that we're going to take a huge hit uh, with U.S. life expectancy. And, and the modeling studies I referred to that said we were going to be set back by, uh, by over a decade were based on data, COVID data through September. It's now November, and, and all signs indicate we're spinning out of control. So um, it's a very alarming situation in terms of the health of Americans. As a physician, that's obviously what I'm most concerned about. But uh, for policymakers who are concerned about the U.S. economy, uh, the the morning lights really need attention. Okay, Dr. Wolf, that, that covers what I wanted to discuss during this. I will say, relative to covid we already have the highest chronic disease burden uh, amongst comparable countries, so uh, that doesn't seem to be uh, going to improve or decrease anytime soon. So with that, 
um, uh, Dr. Wolf, again, thank you for this overview. I'm very appreciative. It's been a pleasure.